0: I find that most people don't live presently. They live in future tripping imaginations that don't exist. And that's what fear does. It not only drives you out of the present, it drives you into a universe and an imagination where there is no God, and you're only left to your own resources to try to find a way to control. And control is always opposed to trust. Hey everybody, John Chisholm here. Welcome to
1: the All the Best podcast. It's my own special blend of motivation and devotion designed to help you find all the best in life. I just believe there's always a way to make your life better. I want to help you get there. Nothing's going to be off limits in this show. We're going to talk to amazing people from all kinds of backgrounds, beliefs, and points of view. We're going to be bringing you insights, advice, and inspiration to guide you into the coolest chapters of your life and maybe help you actually enjoy your time here on planet Earth. So buckle up, kids. This is going to be fun. Hey, guys, and welcome to the show. It's always great having you here, but you knew that. Hey, I just had the most amazing time interviewing William Paul Young. He's the author of The Shack, A little book that sold over 20 million copies just so far. It's a book that has affected an untold number of people all over the world with an unconventional look into the love of God. Paul originally wrote the book for his children as a Christmas present because he was working three jobs and was just too broke to buy them anything else. He remembers printing only about 15 copies of it at the Office Depot to hand out to his family and friends, but millions of copies and an incredible film later, Paul is as unaffected by its massive success as if it just never happened. You know, I didn't even talk to Paul about the book in this episode because there are dozens of other great interviews out there about the uh, shack and how it unfolded that you can find online. I'd met Paul earlier this year at a men's breakfast that was hosted by uh, my friend Wes Yoder, who also joined us in the studio today for this interview. And it turns out that these guys have been hanging out at a prison here in Nashville with an on-fire group of death row inmates who have a thriving relationship with Christ. And we actually interviewed one of them, Terry King, on a 30-minute phone call that you're going to get to experience in this podcast. It's just profound, profound to hear Terry's story of the ultimate brokenness turned into the ultimate redemption, not only of his own soul, but of his reconciliation with a close family member of the man who lost his life at Terry's hands 39 years ago. You're going to get to hear how God used the shack to release Terry from the severe guilt and shame that he's carried for that crime all these years and how he's ready to face eternity any moment that his sentence may be finally carried out. So, this show is longer than usual, but there's so much riveting content that I just couldn't cut any of it. You're going to love the interview with Terry and hearing the depth of Wes and Paul's hearts for him and the other men incarcerated with him. I knew this was going to be a very special show, so chill out with me a little bit and get ready to have your mind blown again, or maybe even for the first time, by the expansive love of God that flows through the life of my very special guest author of The Shack, and my new best friend, William Paul Young. All right. Well, it's incredible to have in the studio today two wonderful new friends. Wes Yoder, we've been friends for quite a few years now.
2: We've Uh, known each other, I think, at least 30. At least. Yeah, (laughs) probably probably 40, uh, I would think so.
1: (laughs) You know, I figured out this week that I came to Nashville 39 years ago
3: and didn't
1: know anybody came here to take a job that fell through and get 40 bucks and no place to live and <laughs> i met bill gaither and gary mcspadden and they signed me to a publishing contract and i just swear god must have closed their ears because i'm gone for dead. <laughs> <laughs>
2: what we know now but didn't yeah. know then yeah
1: i know but Wes, so good to have you here and paul young
0: Good to good to meet you. So good to have you
1: and I. We actually met before. We did, yeah. right? And it was at New Canaan Society Men's <laughs> Breakfast downtown Franklin at Pockets. Wes, thanks for doing that. What a, what a great ministry that is.
2: Well, I get I get you know when when God wants to do something in my life, He usually has to trick me. <laughs> and I had a friend who kept pushing, 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 and we said, I, "Look, I don't want to do this, and I'm certainly not going to try to do anything you know like this by myself." So there was another brother that couldn't let go of it either. And we, we, we played with the idea for about a, 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 a year and a half. And I finally said to him, look, if we're going to do this, let's do it. If not, let's quit talking about this. But it wouldn't go away. And I said, we need a location. Is there a location? And he said, well, there's this place called Puckets. You know what? I go, of course. So he said, I know the owner. Let's go down and talk to Andy Marshall at Puckets and see what happens. So we were sitting down. Andy says, what's up, guys? We told him what we wanted to do, a men's breakfast. And he starts to cry. Oh, and he man. said, I was, pr- I was sitting on the beach last week at my, at my beach house asking God how I can use my business in the kingdom. No, and he no. said, and here you are. So, yes, what do you want to do? We said, well, we'd like to do a men's breakfast with maybe orange juice and sausage biscuits and coffee for five bucks. He said, got you covered. We showed up the first week, had about 40 guys to start out, and he had a full buffet breakfast yeah. and, and has done it ever since. Awesome. So 12 years again, ago. 12 years 12 ago. 12 years ago.
3: Yeah. Well,
1: I've been coming the last few years off and on.
2: Yeah, I know. It's great. Just to happened you.
1: to catch the morning that Paul was there earlier this year and was just blown away with, of course, you know, a big fan of the shack. I don't even have one for you to sign today because we have giving it away, but just a delight to have you here in our studio. I'm Please.
0: absolutely honored to be here.
1: Uh, so I've been, uh, of course, every time I have a guest in. The studio, I go back and I, I try to just, even if I think I know something about you, I, I try to like dig stuff up. And if I can come, come up with something surprising, <laughs> throw that in. But I, it doesn't take I much. I haven't found anything because you're so transparent and you just share your story and so incredibly. You now, you, you're so covered on all the Shaq story. I thought we just might not go there today. That'd be great. It's just Really open it up for whatever is on your heart. Wes, you guys spend a lot of time together, so I know we're going to be getting into some local ministry and have a surprise phone call on the show today. So We certainly will. What's
0: going on at you, Paul? I was thinking about what Wes said about being tricked, but I I actually think that God takes prayer seriously.
2: When I figured out in my 20s that the choices I was making for myself were always worse than the choices that God <laughs> made for me, I started kind of it took me a while to get used to the idea of, of giving him, you know, kind of the throttle and the, and the range or the steering wheel and the throttle. But I, I started probably 20, 25 years ago just holding out my hands and saying, God, um, uh, would you take out of my hands anything you don't want there? And would you put into my hands whatever you want there? And I don't care. I don't care what the results are and the fun of that has just been remarkable. I dare anybody to do that.
0: Yeah. There is there's something absolutely profound and life-changing when you begin to realize that God is of such a nature of love that God will submit yes. to our choices. Right. And and you think, "Now why?" Cuz we get taught a lot about sovereignty and power and all of those God has this plan for you. And it's really woven inside the choices that we make, because if God took away our ability to choose and participate, then there is no possibility of love.
2: Right. If he just takes away the agency, there's what is left.
0: Yeah, exactly. So that's remarkable. You know, one of the things that has been really true for me has been uh, my dad died uh, just uh, middle of May this year, 2022. And, and I have a difficult history with my father. I was the firstborn missionary kid, preacher's kid. And a lot of expectations were placed on me, which is, it's a difficult road for PKs and, and third culture kids. And he, he was a man who came right out of the bush. You know, he was a hunter, trapper, logger who his father had beat a capacity to be a dad out of him before I ever showed up. And, and yet, you know, I sort of demanded from him, and in, in some senses, rightfully so, that he'd be a father to me. And so my early childhood with him was, it was pretty terrifying. I really didn't want anything to do. He was abusive in terms of physical, physical realities, of discipline and all that. And so I, he terrified me enough that I just didn't want anything to do with him. And that was sort of a, th- a thread through my life. But what it did is it ended up with me looking for some father figure. And, and then, you know, he began to soften as he aged, but he would, I'd go into situations and he would blow them up. And on his 80th birthday, he, he passed at 92. So 12 years ago on his 80th birthday, he, he blew it up again. And uh, I went for a walk cause I was kind of pissed off and, um, uh, and I felt the arm of Papa God around my shoulders, and we walked in silence for a while. And then I hear that voice, you know. I've never heard God speak audibly. I have friends who have, and I absolutely believe it. Definitely God has that capacity. And uh, But I hear that voice strongly, and I know that voice now. I have a very conversational relationship with God. And uh, I hear Papa God just say, Paul, you know your dad hasn't had a capacity to be a, a dad to you. For 60 years, he's not suddenly going to figure it out. And I'm like, yeah, I know that. And I hear, well, if it's okay with you, how about if I be all that to you and more? Mm -hmm. And it crushed something inside of me, and I'm just bawling, you know. And I realized, it was like the lights came on, and I realized that throughout my relationship with my dad, the reason he would keep blowing things up is that I would keep planting mines in the minefield that really were expectations. And he didn't know where they were. Right, and And I realized that being a father was a subcategory of something much more profound and greater, and that is being a human being. Because there are many human beings who aren't dads or moms, right? And so being a human being was the greater of the two. And not that being a father or a mother is not significant and important. So... I let him become a human being 12 years ago and and our relationship immediately started to soften and when you let go of expectations everything becomes a gift right expectations draw a line beneath which nothing's a gift and so we instead of living with expectancy which is wide open and available to what's right in front of me in the present an expectation Draws you into some imagination of what should happen, and then people disappoint you because expectations are simply disappointments waiting to happen and And that began to soften our relationships and And, and two weeks before he died, I call him. I've gotten five phone calls from my dad, and three of them were tragedies, and so he he just doesn't call and I, so i called him again and i started have, having conversations on the phone fairly regularly and finding ways to go up and see him and up in british columbia and and we're into the conversation a few minutes and he says paul i want to i want to tell you something that's important and that's normally how we would start a tragedy conversation and i'm going yeah dad and he says no this is this is, I, w- I want you to hear this. This is really important. And I'm like, okay. He says, Paul, I, I want you to know that I am really, really proud of you. I had never heard that from my dad. And uh, he said, you know, I'm, I'm proud of the man you are. I'm proud of the father you are. I'm proud of the husband you are. I'm proud of the way you've impacted the world. And I just, I just wanted to tell you, and I really love you. And that, I said to my sister, who my dad lives with, you know, I said, if you had anything to do with this, thank you. And she said, no, even better, I had nothing to do with this. And so that was two weeks, and he died suddenly. He walked into a hospital, he was having chest pains at 2.30 in the afternoon, and by 6.30 he was comatose, and he died the next day. And uh, and so we had a family gathering, and he didn't want something special, and and uh, there were nine of us, including the, f- the funeral director at the burial site. And, and uh, I get home, and there's a card waiting for me in the mail. And, uh, you know, you don't get cards very often. It's just an unusual sort of thing. Emails and messages, and they're wonderful, but a card, a card that was sent to me by guys on death row in Unit 2 in Tennessee. And uh, I've got it right here, and it's sort of a generic sympathy card. But the inside is almost all blank. And so on it are written all these notes. These are guys that have become my friends. And all of these guys are sitting on death row. Terry has been on there for 38 years. And, and we have, quote-unquote, a justicism, justice system that leaves no room for transformation. Like Terry said to me one day, he said, you know, it's kind of a horrible thing to be only known for the worst day of your life. And so I've been friends with these guys, and Wes and I have regularly gone. And we're going in again this Sunday just to see our friends. And these guys are some of the freest guys I have ever known in my life. And the last time we were in there, they had put together a a communion service. And uh, these guys gathered around, and they said to me, I think that you should lead this service. And, and this is in our third hour of being there. And I said, no, I think Wes should do it. And so, Wes, what was that like?
2: Well, we, we had gone in to the prison that evening to visit with Terry, who's going to call in here in a little bit, and with another brother who was scheduled for execution. And he had requested through his attorney that he would like to meet with Paul Young as one of his last requests. Well, we get there. Terry comes to greet us in the in the cell block and then runs over to get, said, I'll go, I'll go get Harold. And Harold comes and sits down right across the table from us. And he says, hey guys, great to see you. And he said, what do you want to talk about? We go, well, what do you want to talk about? He says, well, uh, anything you want to talk about. We said, wait a minute. Paul says, wait a minute, you called this meeting. You asked us to come. He said, no, I didn't. So he didn't even know that his attorneys had made the request that Paul came. They made such a specific request that Harold wanted to meet us, and so this is now we we were sitting there talking, and it's now five twenty-five, and their 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 Sunday evening fellowship group inside the the cell block on death row meets at five thirty. So just before the five, the guys start coming in, and and they turn to Paul and said, "Oh, by the way, you're our guest speaker for tonight." <laughs> so he. Right. So he speaks for something. an hour and a half. I don't and,
1: think that's hard for you. Sibon. No, He, yeah, he speaks right.
2: for an hour and a half. And then, then I find out one minute before I'm leading a communion service that I'm leading the communion service. I go, okay, Holy Spirit, what do you want to do with this one? And I had been meditating on Psalm 126 about when the Lord restored our fortunes, we were like those in a dream. You know, that, that, you know, those who go, they said among the nations, the Lord has been good to them the Lord has been good to us. And I had them repeat that they shouted it in the cell block. Mm. And then it says, those who go out with their bag of seed weeping will come again mm. with shouts of joy, bringing the harvest with them. And this was just the the beginning of our celebration of the Eucharist and the most joyful celebration of Christian communion I have ever been a part of in my life, mm. ever. And, and the, the joy in, the, in that cell block was, was absolutely palpable, and I, I left saying, this somehow, this joy that we felt, we said this on the way home, it feels almost prophetic, and the next morning, Governor Lee announced that there would be no more executions in the state of Tennessee through the end of the year so that they could address the problems with the poison protocol that they use in the executions.
0: Tell, them, tell everybody who are listening what you had them do with the bread
2: oh well this they had never done this before but sometimes when you have a small group and you have the opportunity to pass the bread to them you know you can say you can pass it out this is the 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 body of our Lord Jesus Christ or this is the royal feast of our Lord Jesus this is his body broken for you and I shared a little bit of that and said "I'm, I'm going to start here and I want you to pass the bread to the brother on your left until it goes around the circle and I want you to pronounce a blessing or whatever you want to say to your brother here in the cell block. And there were tears. It, 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 was, it was unbelievable. And Paul and I were blessed in the same way by, by the brothers speaking something to us.
0: And Harold, who was due for execution in, in a matter of days, he says, look at this concrete and this steel and these bars. They have nothing at all to say about freedom, because freedom is what is in the heart and what has been established by the presence of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. You no, know, these guys, they and I think this would be a great idea for every family and every church community, but they have a a wood shop where they make gifts for people. And they've sent Wes a gift, they've sent me a gift, they've done stations of the cross and wood. And they have a, a library that's a little bigger than their work, uh, wood shop. And they built in the wood shop what they call the table of reconciliation. Seats about 14. Yeah. And so the agreement in the cell block, and there are 48 guys in, on death row, is that if, if any of them have an issue with each other, they will meet at the table of reconciliation and not leave it until that issue is resolved. And if they have a problem, resolving it they will call in a third person and oftentimes it's terry and and again that third person will help them see how to resolve that issue where there can be forgiveness and a letting go and uh, and i'm i'm thinking how how many of us in our communities or our families could really use a table of reconciliation
1: yeah how many marriages would be saved with a table of reconciliation yeah.
0: right so Terry's going to call in.
2: Terry's going to call in in just a few minutes, and we're going to have a conversation. He is—he has just become a—he calls me about every week, and I think Paul too. He gets mm-hmm. five-minute calls that are free, and mm-hmm. it's just just alive, joyful. I have promised him a big chicken dinner the minute he gets out of prison, <laughs> Lord willing. But who knows yes. if that will happen?
1: i don't know if they have chicken dinners in heaven, but uh, but we'll have something better. It could be. Yeah, yeah we're going to have do we're
2: going to have a celebration things, meal yeah. for sure. Yeah.
1: Yeah, of course, we pray for his release. And what a, what an amazing story. And, and I did hear a conversation like this live at Puckett's that morning, and it was just incredibly moving to think of someone who is incarcerated and on death row to have such joy and such vibrancy in Christ when a whole lot of us on the outside are in our own
0: prisons. prisons. Yeah. Yeah, Terry said that at one point, he said, or I said to him I said you know your your prisons are obvious right you got the bricks you got the walls you got the bars but so many people on the outside don't even know that they're inside of a prison because it's not so obvious and and there's there's something about when you see the walls of your prison you can begin to deal with it and uh, dismantle its power and uh, the beauty and the freedom that these guys have as a group I've I've never encountered and uh, they're among the freest group of people I've ever been around That's, yeah and the thing that that does is it humanizes a category of people right right so and I've watched that happen I was uh, speaking at, at St. Henry's right and down down in Nashville and Terry called in and nobody knew that I was going to do it so it was all set up and so Terry Terry talked. I held the phone up at the microphone like Wes will today. And Terry began to just talk. And I watched that room transform because they no longer could keep a category of people called those guys on death row, those monsters on death row. And and I watched Terry humanize an entire room of a few hundred people. And it was it was absolutely remarkable. They couldn't unhear that. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Yeah.
2: I was so oriented toward thinking that these guys in prison who say they follow Christ are just jailhouse conversions. And then I started seeing the reality of, of, of the the depth of their faith and the challenge to it every every day is their life is in the balance. And are you going to live, you know— where you are already in Christ. Are you going to live in Christ or are you going to live in some fabrication? And there are, I mean, as Paul mentioned, a lot of the impressions that that all of us have had at one time or another, these people have done monstrous things and some of them have. But what we're finding in this group of guys is the honesty to, for them to admit what they did. And then there are several down there who haven't done what they're accused of. Mm. And and if that becomes clear in this context of the the human dignity of a group of guys that tell the truth to each other, it, it, it becomes clear who's telling the truth and who's not, and it, it's amazing. It's just amazing. So yeah,
0: we think of the transforming revelation of the nature of Jesus, and I mean, you you read the scriptures, and it's full of murderers, right? right? Whether it's David or the Apostle Paul, or and and we don't seem to have a big issue with the fact that they were transformed and they changed, right? Because the justice system here is primarily retributive and vengeance oriented. There's no place for transformation. Once you're there, you're there till you know you die. Well, since
2: since nineteen seventy nine, when the Supreme Court reinstated the, the, the death penalty, there was about a three year moratorium. Since that time, according to the research, there have not been any executions in America for for, for those people who could afford their own defense. And most of the, most of the executions are in former slave states. And I, I'll let you interpret for yourself whatever you think that might mean. But it means something, it's not nothing. And we have this problem because we theologically say, well, these people are bound up in sin under the law, therefore the law of Moses applies to them. But the law of Moses applied to King David and here's a man a wealthy man a leader of the country and a man of privilege and he had two counts that would have been according to the law of Moses would have been criminal offenses worthy of death and he escaped and then Jesus comes along with a woman caught in adultery same kind of thing and he sets her free and and we have we have to make some choices about whether we want to follow the teachings of Moses or the teachings of Jesus and do we believe that the teachings of Jesus apply to the American street, mm. and most of us don't.
1: That is a mouthful. And having been going through a lot of Paul's teaching over the last few days, preparing for today, I heard you mention that. It's so provocative to yeah. think of, do we live under the law of Moses or under the law of Christ? And yeah. very, very, very challenging for evangelicals.
2: The law of Moses required that if there's going to be a death penalty, it must not be done, must must not be carried out unless there are two or three eyewitnesses that agree. We don't have that in American jurisprudence, and we don't, we should at least require DNA evidence to be one of those witnesses, and we don't even do that.
0: And it's it's, the laws here are different depending on which state you're in. So even the law of execution and the jurisprudence is handled arbitrarily, in a sense. There's no, there's no code that applies to everybody. Yeah. And so that becomes a real yeah. issue. So, you know, what we have are those who are in the community of faith declaring the execution of those who are in the community of faith and and that's a tough thing yeah, yeah. right
2: in other words the church on the outside of the prison is execu- executing the church on the inside of the prison
0: wow deep stuff well, Wow. i mean and i know it's provocative yeah, and, i love it yeah and and i i know that these kinds of things are difficult but so many stories in which these guys have gone through a process of reconciliation with the families whose lives were taken, in in ways that people just don't know. You know, we have one situation where was it the mother of the the person who was killed moved to Nashville to be close to the, the perpetrator? The,
2: yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, and 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 this we have to really be careful in terms of our passion about this subject, to care for the victims. Because yeah. if, if, we don't, if we don't equally dignify their humanity, just as we think the, the, the dignity of the, of the perpetrator, perpetrator must be preserved, must be restored, same is true with the victims. And this, this is a hard issue. This is not easy. And, and you know there are, there are some victims' families who say, I want justice, and justice means death. And others who are saying, I want justice, and justice means love. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's a tough call, and I completely respect yeah. any victim's family who is on either side of that des- desire, whether, whether it's a desire for revenge, or a desire for justice in a ret- retributive sense, or a desire for justice where love is the, is the applied principle. I, I have complete respect for the sorrow and the pain, and the anguish, and the suffering of the victim's family. So I don't want anybody who might be listening, not to, to, to misunderstand us on that point.
0: Yeah, and it it opens up. It doesn't just take a sh- snapshot of what happened. It allows for the grieving and transformative power of the presence of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in in both the perpetrators and the ones who were victimized, and and that allows for movement right right now it's just like a, a, it's everything time stops and and the person who was victimized in this the family that it, it, that victimization extended to they make a decision that a lot of them then regret down the road because of changes in their own heart and uh, and this nothing allows for that to actually happen we We understand that forgiveness is for the sake of those victimized. It allows them to let go of that event and that person in a way that allows them to move forward and live, right? And the language in the New Testament is, if you have faith the size of a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain of unforgiveness, be picked up and thrown into the sea. And it will. So you have that power. And a lot of people that are harmed create an identity based on that harm and get stuck in that history. And then everything in terms of how they look at themselves and how they look at the world is all seen through the lens of that particular event and that person. And that's not freedom, right? right? And then reconciliation, which is a much more difficult process, involves the person who committed the act tell the truth actually become a truth teller this is confession right and that means that they own what not only what happened but all the repercussions of it and then they sit in the stories of the damage that they've Mm. done and then in terms of owning it they then begin to change over time that's repentance right to change over time even then, they have no right to declare that reconciliation should, should happen. When it does, it's an absolute miracle. Hmm. And, uh, and that's the truth in my life in terms of the adultery that I committed. And it took 11 years for Kim to trust me again. But it required truth-telling. It required change over time. It required owning what I'd done. It required being able to then talk to the family, her family. You know, the first person that I needed to tell was her dad, who lived with us for 17 years. And I'm telling you, that's a hellish road. The road to reconciliation is a fire. And these guys know that. They don't expect or demand reconciliation, but they are working at everything on their side they can do and trusting in the miraculous presence of the Holy Spirit involved in this conversation with the ones they've harmed. You called it the great and
1: terrible grace
0: of God. Oh my gosh. You know, thankfully, I married the wrath of God. You know, part of the reason I'm as healthy as I am is because Kim was as powerfully strong and fiery as she is. Right. Yeah.
1: Well, it, it is miraculous to see how God has brought such tremendous blessing, healing. My own wife thanked you as you gave me the door to the, you know, for the way that, that your work. Has blessed millions. What does it? What does it feel like on this side of twenty million? Whoa. On that
0: side of twenty million, it's
1: like, yeah. I know. You, you know. I mean, when, when I hear you tell the story of your dad at eighty, you know, finally being able to to be real at and 90, dad, yeah. And ninety, yeah, at ninety, yeah,
0: ninety two, and, and
1: then this card from these death row inmates. It it feels to me like that might be a little more meaningful. I mean, I'm sure you're glad about. All the success in the movie and the books. Uh, and sounds, uh,
0: yeah, those things are just smoke and mirrors as far as I'm yeah. concerned. You know, when I made the 15 copies at Office Depot as a gift for my kids and then gave the extras to my friends, it did everything I wanted it to do, right? It absolutely mm-hmm. accomplished what I wanted it to do. Everything that happened down the road after that was sort of like, how how funny is this, right? How unbelievable is this? So, everything after that is like, thank you, Holy Spirit. We'll have more, please.
2: Terry, good morning, you dear. Brother.
0: Hey, Terry, it's Paul.
2: Can you hear Paul? Hey, Paul, I already you? And we want to introduce you to our friend John Chisholm, who is the creator and leader of this podcast and just has been doing marvelous things for a long time with creative people and songwriters. So, say hello to John.
1: Hey, Terry. Hey, How are you, sir? Hey, man. God bless you. Thank you so much for
3: being with us today. Oh, it's an honor and a privilege. I've been sitting on pins and needles excited about the opportunity to speak with you. And any time I can hang out with my friends, Paul and Wes, it's just a privilege and an honor. They're
1: good guys. They're, they'll they do. Amazing. They'll they do in the pins, right?
3: <laughs> <laughs> no, nah, I think it's more than that, my friend. But, you know. Yeah, they're just amazing, amazing guys. Gonna get to hang out with them Sunday night
2: too, right, Wes? Got that right, brother. You know what? The you know the warden was gonna let us bring you guys burritos, and then he changed his mind. We just about ordered a hundred burritos to bring to you guys, so you could each have two. And then he turned around yeah. midstream and told us we couldn't couldn't feed you. I was going to try to sneak some fried chicken in too, but it wasn't going to work.
3: <laughs> so they changed that.
2: Yeah, we got we got word. Don't don't bring food. Oh, wow. I know. I'm sorry to break the bad news to you.
3: <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I was just told somebody, hey, we'll be Sunday night. <laughs> but it, it's still all good, you know? It's good. We'll be there. Oh, for sure. What for
1: Well, Terry, it is a privilege to have Paul and Wes and you with us. I, I was at Puckett's back in the summertime when I heard you and Paul have this conversation in the First thing I wanted to do was just try to snag this kind of an interview with you and just to hear the the goodness of God. It, it is, seems like a paradox and kind of really what's going on on death row down there that you feel such a depth of the love and the presence of God. So I'm going to let you guys kind of take the conversation there, Paul Wes, because you're right up in the middle of all this.
0: So, Terry, what's on your heart?
3: Well, you know, to his question, you know, what changed my heart was a book called The Shack. (laughs) And it just opened my eyes to just just the craziness of my thinking, judging other people, thinking I was better than them because I had done that. And it's just, I've not been the same. I tell everyone, as a matter of fact, I spoke to a guy in Philadelphia a couple of days ago, and I, and I was just telling him we were talking about the shack and what's your story, and, and I was sharing that with him and stuff, and just how that—I mean—I can't believe my eyes were so blind for so long, and but uh, that book just changed everything for me, and it, it's not in the same sense.
2: Terry, talk talk just for a second about that blindness. Dig a little bit deeper. Into what that blindness was and 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 what you mean by being set free from it oh I think well I think mean, I would look around at other people here
3: and think I was better than them because I hadn't done what they had done and i I came looking back on judging people I, I've been doing that my whole life from seeing the homeless down on the street to whatever and and it, it just that book just 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 freed me from that 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 blindness and and to the point that I mean when I read that book, John, there's a there's a there's a section in the book, chapter eleven, here Come the judge. And it was the point where Mac was having a conversation with which represents the you know the wisdom of God. And asking Mac to choose which one of his children he would send to heaven and which ones he would send to hell. And just just realizing that God loves us all, and it, 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 of course Matt couldn't choose, and, and but you know he he chose to take their place instead, and of course by doing that he he showed how much love he had for his children, just as God sent His Son to die for all of us. But when I read that, it, I, I I can call it. I think I shared with Paul in the past, but I mean I I. It's like my eyes was open up for the first time. I could just see the, the, the frothole that I'd been all my life. And I literally felt naked, like I had no clothes on. It, it felt more than that. It felt like I had no skin on my body, and I would just wall on the street. I can remember jumping in, up and on into the window in my cell and looking out and saying, people can see me. You know, God can see me for who I am. It, it, it was to the point that I really thought about getting under my bunk and hiding. Hmm. And, but I realized you can't hide from God. And what that caused me to do, not an outer body experience, but it caused me to step outside myself and look at who I was, what I had become, what I had done. As I, I was a shame beyond shame. It was almost a crippling effect of, like, oh, my God, you know, and, and I mean, falling down on my knees and asking God to forgive me. And he has, and I'm at complete peace, and I feel complete
2: freedom in my
3: heart, and, and I thank God for that.
2: I think you just made Paul Young start to cry.
3: Uh, well, you know, you know, I, I
2: told him, and you know, I'll tell him to the day I die, you know,
3: thank you for writing that book that has affected and touched so many people's lives, but certainly mine. And, such a profound thing that, I mean, I, little did I know when I put that book up, what, what a friend of mine gave it to me, you need to read this. And to me, the first 60 or 70 pages is the hard part to get through because of what happened to Missy of the book. And, uh, but, but it's so much more than that, you know, and, and I, I you know, I just tell everybody about this book. I, I'll do that for the rest of my life. Mm. And I just, that's what I got to do, you know, I mean, because. If it, if it can have that much of an impact on life to cause a sinner to see the, the life that he was living and open his mind and open his heart, it can touch anybody's life.
2: That's I truly right. really
3: believe that.
2: That's right.
3: And um, you know, I, we've had the privilege of getting to see the movie here. I've watched it about eleven or twelve times. Yeah. <laughs> and you know, I just, I thought they did a good job on the movie as well. But. Don't let me do all the talk. I'm sorry.
1: No, you're you're here to talk. We want you to talk. Now, did you have any kind of relationship with
3: Christ at all?
1: Had you heard the gospel and just walked away from it? Yeah,
3: I, I had. I mean, when I grew up as a little boy, I used to go to church with my grandmother and my mom and stuff. But, I, I you know, I, I had really not any interest in that. And I, I will tell you, my maternal grandmother... When I was 18 years old, she told me one day, because I was out of control, I was doing drugs and this and that, getting in trouble and stuff, and she told me, she looked me right in the eye and she took her little finger, she said, boy, you're out of control. She said, you're going to wind up in a place, i pray I don't see it, but I know I'm going to, you're going to wind up in a place where you're going to fall down on your knees and cry out to the good Lord. Wow. And you know, look where i look at, look what I've done. You know what I'm saying? And, you know, I, I spent the rest of my life I, when I, to the point, after her, every chance I could tell her, you were right. I was wrong. You know what I'm saying? And, and, and she was right. And she saw that. And I couldn't see what she saw. And, and I thank God that, you know, that is it found. I mean, I thank God he found me, even though he found me where I was at it, it, in a cell, reading a book called The Shack. And he opened my eyes and opened my heart. And, and, and I'll say this. You know, I hate who I used to be, but I love who I am today, and I thank God for the peace and freedom. Because I tell you, it's tough being in prison, and and, and you know, you look around. I think Paul had said, you know, my prison has a simplicity to it. It's you know, fences fit, fit and that sort of thing. Other people are in a prison; they don't even know what it is. But I'm in complete peace, and I thank God for that.
0: Tell the folks about you and Ron getting left out outside. <laughs> oh, <yeah. laughs>
3: one, one year, I guess it was in 2015 or 16, I guess it was. Uh, Might have been 14, I can't remember, but we were out in the wreck yard in the evening. When I say a yard, I don't really mean a, like a yard yard, like with grass. Everything's on the concrete and fit, you know, and wire fences and cages and whatnot. But they let us out late in the evening, it was dark. And, I guess it's like they forgot about us. And uh, Johnny, Johnny said, to you, should we alert the officers? I said, no, no, oh, man, you're leaving us out here. You can see the stars and stuff. It's just absolutely beautiful, you know, because we've never been out that time at night. And you, you can't really feel here because, you know, if you're in your cell because the lights and everything that are real close to the uh, building and stuff, you just can't see the sky like that on oh, one other occasion. I came back to the prison, it was after dark. I'd been to the special needs facility down the road for a medical procedure. And the officer was walking me back and we were walking on what they call the access road and uh, we stopped. It was in the middle of winter, it was January and, and the stars were just, you could see the sky, it looked like it went forever. And I mean, can I just please stop and look, you know, and to think that, uh, my heavenly father who created that universe loved me so much that he would send his God to die for me. He would have done that if I'd all been the only person on the face of the earth. You know, it, it was just it was just so emotional to look at that. I mean, I don't ever get to see that anymore and to think just, I mean, it looked like the sky. sky was forever. It was just beautiful, you know. And uh, but but anyway, I'm sorry, I I'll go on and on, but i
1: be here. Nothing to be sorry about, but it's a whole new perspective for myself, you know, when I get to walk out, take the dog out in the yard or, you know, 18 times a day to look up and be more appreciative of of what we're out there to do.
0: You, you even get to step on grass.
3: Oh, that's true. That's another thing, John. We never walk on grass here. Mm. Everything's concrete or tile or that sort of thing. And it, it, we, we just don't. And um, it just, gosh, you know, one of the things that anytime anybody gets off the road, one well, of the first things they do is go walk on grass. But mm. it just, I mean, you can see it, but you can't touch it. You know what I mean? It's just out of your reach because the, the the wire mash or the cage that you're in will allow you to do that. It, and it just, it's just really, really crazy. I'll tell you a quick story. Back in 2017, I went back to court in Knoxville, and I was getting ready to go into the courtroom, they take me behind the, the, the courtroom there, close to the judge's chambers, and I'm in a waiting hallway there, and the carpet was just so thick. It was unreal. And I was standing on it, and it was, it was so soft. Because it I went, I went in, like I said, concrete or tile, and it was like I was losing my balance. It was so soft, and the officer was looking at me. So what's wrong with you? I said, "This feels weird to me because I don't ever." He said, "Wow, I've never even thought about that." And I wonder. You seem like you were struggling. I mean, it was like I was on oh, not really losing my balance, but it, it was like it was shifting under my feet, kind of thing. And
0: he said, I've never even thought about it. When was when was yeah? When was the last time you walked on grass? Oh, geez. One thing, 39 years ago. Uh, yeah.
3: I've been in prison. I've been incarcerated since August of 1983. And so it's been a minute. I've been working on four decades. That's at least two
0: minutes, brother. Yeah, oh, absolutely. Mm-hmm. <laughs> absolutely. So tell us a bit about the community of guys that have formed together.
3: Oh, yeah, there's there's a there's a core of God here that uh, we all worship the Lord together. And, you know, it's every bit of a community and a family is, and i say probably more so than anything on the street. And, you know, we look out for one another. We remember each other's birthdays. We are, uh, we were there. We are, we are always there from during our childhood need When maybe a family member has passed away, I, I would call when my mother Passed away in February the 6th of 2019. One of the first persons I went to was my brother, uh, Kevin Barnes, and he is actually the resident chaplain at this, this unit, at our unit. He's been ordained. He's become an ordained minister since he's been here. Mm-hmm. And the only one that I know that I can always go to uh, during my time of need or 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 grieving or just, you know, we'll share something in confidence or whatever. He's always been there for me. Just an amazing guy. But there's a core of those like that that are there for one another and try to always be there for
0: one another. You know, I I get an opportunity to share the card that you guys sent. It is. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It is one of the greatest gifts I've ever received in my life. And, uh, you know, and it's, there's so much between the lines. And uh, there's so much depth of, of love amongst you and for me and, you know, for the scriptures and for the character and nature of the God who dwells inside of you. And um, I'm just so grateful that that was waiting for me when I got home.
3: Well, man, we love you, Paul. Man. I know. And we're all looking forward to seeing you Sunday can't, a couple of
0: hours. Yeah, uh, can't wait.
3: Uh, to know you is to love you. you know I mean, you know what I'm saying. So I, I hope you feel that. You know, oh man, I always feel that. I, you know, as I feel the love you have for me and for us. You know, we feel that. We know that. And you know, love is a mutual thing. You know, I think. And just just as our father loved us, we love our father. And uh, but, but absolutely, my name is a. You know, I'd say. You know, I just think that you know what you got to share with us the last time you were here and everything, you know, concerning you know the reason why we sent that card and everything, your father and everything. It was just just a just a privilege to hear that, and it's a privilege to just spend time with you. That time about back, I think it was back in was it April. And, right? yeah, it was April. it was April right. beginning yeah. first few days. So you know, we just we just love you, man. You just I always want to know you. That's the reason when you,
2: when you, we know you're coming, we all get so excited, you know, thinking about spending some time. Wow. Is Paul going to be the program again Sunday night or are you doing it this time?
3: Oh, no. No, Paul will be. <laughs> <laughs> not me. Not me. <laughs> Certainly not. But, uh, you know, yeah, they, they won't hear Paul speak. I'll tell you, that's for sure. I He's a good one. He's good at it.
1: So. No 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 good words and teaching out of Paul. Well, listen, I, I appreciate Paul and Wes kind of opening our eyes, those of us on the outside who may have kind of written off, you know, people in prison, people certainly on death row, things that, you know, you're there to pay your debt and kind of forgotten. And so it's, it's really an awesome thing to kind of just be brought into your world. For a moment. And I hope this is an appropriate question to ask. But, you know, when I think of someone who's received a death sentence, do you have you lived with a sense of red or has that been kind of erased in your experience through Jesus? I mean, how that feels unimaginable to someone such as me, though I'm sure I've probably done (laughs) things certainly worthy of the eternal sense of
3: of death. But what? is it's that is that a too weird Justin? Question? No, you could ask anything you want There ain't no question off limits with me, but if I understood your question is before yeah. full Christ, i did I, I always dreaded it. My time here was 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 tough and hard, but since Christ, and and, and all that came about as after I read the shack, but since then. My time here flies by and and, and I'm in complete peace. I'm standing in a cell right now, about 10, about 12, something like that I get. And I'm telling you, I'm in complete Mm peace. And God is good. God didn't stop at the the, the Pope coming into this prison. I don't go there. No, that's not true. He does. You know, Scripture says, go visit those in prison. You know, that's what Scripture says along with many other things, but God is as alive and real today right here as he ever has been. And so I hope I
1: answered your question. You did. But, and, the, uh, and and I know you'd said that earlier in the conversation that you were at peace and that is astounding and amazing. And that the fact that God doesn't, his presence doesn't stay outside the prison bars and to, to feel that presence to have that sweet communion with the guys there I, as a musician i've done a fair amount of prison ministry uh in and out of different cities i've lived in and i've never ministered to a more grateful audience it's it it is it blows me away every time i get to go do that so maybe there'll be a chance west and paul can get me in i could come do some worship leading or something with you guys.
2: You know, Val well, is Al Andrews got another concert plan that we can bring John along. Are we
3: not yet. I've I, I reached out to him and asked him. By the way, he's going to be here Sunday night. At- ah, Saturday. that's great. Uh, well, he and his wife are a visit or on vacation or something. So if his plane gets back in time. He's on the approved list to come in. So awesome. hopefully, we'll we'll get to see him then.
2: And I. I want to ask. Hey, we're ready for how to talk. We're gonna we're gonna try to bring John. We're, we'll bring John the, the minute the minute we can get him in there because he's fantastic. Uh, thanks,
3: Wes. Oh, absolutely. we look forward to that, John. It would be, you know, it's a privilege talking to you. I could imagine what it would be like hanging out with you for a couple of hours. Hey, so, but
1: we'll,
0: we'll we'll have a big time. So
2: and maybe with burritos. <laughs> maybe with burritos this time.
0: One one of the things. One of the things that. Oh yeah. Hey.
3: It's we're just disappointed we're not gonna get fed, but you know that's the most that's not the most important thing. The most important thing is getting to hang out with our brothers and you and you and Paul with, I mean you and Paul
0: with. So okay. you know,
3: It's an added thing, but it will be all okay. You know, it's all good.
0: One of the things that Terry and I have talked about is that everybody's on death row, right? Sure. And that there is a there's a terminal point for all of us. And I think that most people in the world live under the fear of death. And it's a, it's a driver. And it's one of the things that Jesus came to destroy was the fear of death. And, and it, it, he also opens up an incredible landscape for reconciliation. So over these years, what have you seen in terms of reconciliation be- between those who have perpetrated the harm and those who have were part of the victimization of that harm?
3: Oh, I, I can speak personally about me. I, I in, in 2013, I received a letter from Mary, and I will spent for I won't say her last name like this. But uh, you know the story, Paul, and, and so does West. But uh, that letter and that forgiveness came to me from nowhere. I, I had not a clue, and the letter. Her forgiveness and speaking for the young man had lost his life, his forgiveness, it came to me 30 years to the month, 30 years to the week, almost 30 years to the day that the crime happened. And uh, it was just, it was just amazing and how hell that had happened. I have a theory as to why it happened, but I started tithing in December the 12th. First time i ever gave a tithe or a gift to, to, to the church. In my entire life, I've been giving every month since I give at least ten bucks a month. The very next month, January 2013, Mary had received a text message from her sister that she had found a 30-year-old letter from Todd had never been opened and she had been carrying it for all these years. What that prompted Mary to do was Google Todd's name and my name and my co-defendant's name came up associated with the crime and. She cried and asked God what to do. She'd write a letter, tear it up, write a letter, tear it up. And she finally sent oh, all the letter. She wrote it at April the 8th, 2013. But she didn't mail it until a couple months later in June. And I got that letter, and I just just wept. I mean, she's hard on me. You did this, this, and this. But I forgive you. And, and, and speaking for the young man that lost it, he too would forgive you. Fast forward a couple weeks later, my attorney's arranged a phone call. And I called her, and I was nervous, beyond nervous, more nervous than when I was calling you right now, John. But we <laughs> like, talked like this, like this call, cut off in 30 minutes. And uh, about 27, 28 minutes into the conversation, she starts crying thought, go, Oh God, what have I done? What have I said? It, she said, God wants me to tell you something. You know what? I get emotional just thinking about this. But she said, God wants me to tell you something. I said, Huh? She said, God wants me to tell you that I love you and I forgive you. No, he loved me and forgave me, but God did. Can you imagine how I felt? Man, he, I started weeping and thanking God. I said, oh, you know, you God without his way to get my attention, like that, to tell me he loves me and he forgives me from somebody that I'd hurt so bad. Fast forward, she moves to, to Tennessee. she been for about a year. And several months after visit, she looked at me one day, she said, Terry, he said, now it's time for you to forgive yourself. Wow. And I have. I have. At the risk it may I hope you don't think this sounds arrogant, but I have forgiven myself. How how arrogant would I be? Not number one, number two, not to, not to receive her forgiveness. And number two, but most importantly, receive the forgiveness that I got from my Heavenly father. I know I've been forgiven. I walk with the peace and the freedom. That I have, my slate has been wiped clean. And I want to say one other thing. The one thing I take great pleasure in knowing, they can never kill the, the Terry from old. The reason why, if I died in my baptism, when I rose, I became new. <laughs> All <right>. Amen, brother. <laughs> oh, they, they could kill me no matter how hard they try. You know, I laugh when I think about it, really. Not that it's funny, but I'm laughing. They could kill me. I died a long time ago. So so they, they can execute this person, this Terry Kang and same Social Security. But I've got to say, and they can never make me the same as I used to be. Thank God for
2: that and uh, but but anyway that'll preach I mean, that'll you know, preach brother that'll dear. preach
3: we're, have, we're having revival over your buddy that's <laughs> that's, that's just... <laughs> and, well you're kind but but you know god is good and, and and i just i i just i just pray that somehow my voice could be used in a way to to, to lead others to the lord and, and but, you know, there could be light in me. There could be light in anybody. I often tell people, the Apostle Paul, they had nothing on me. You know what I mean? You know, they they committed great sins, but no more than me. You know what I'm saying? here? And so if God can forgive them. he can forgive anybody. If he can forgive me, he can forgive anybody. And there's complete peace and freedom in Christ. I just pray that more people find that peace. Terry, I love you. I love you, Paul. You don't have
0: I do know that.
3: Oh, I do. There's not a day that goes by that I don't know
1: that, Paul.
0: Mm-hmm. Thank
1: you. Terry, thank you so much, man. What a privilege to speak with you today, to hear your story, but even more to, to hear your heart and feel the presence of God, fill our little podcast studio just to connect in the
3: spirit with you, man. Thank you so much. Oh, it's such an honor.
0: You guys take care. God bless you and be safe. At- Terry, I just, I, of- I was, I was just thinking, if there was somebody out there who would love to be in touch with you, what's the best way to do it?
3: You know, they can just write to me. You know. But I mean, you've got my address. You can give it to John. I don't know how they post that or whatever. Feel free to do that. If anyone needs words of encouragement, I think I can. I can help with that. You
2: know? <laughs> <laughs> There's a whole lot of people going to be calling you for <laughs> words of encouragement, brother. <laughs>
0: well, Terry has the time. <laughs> you know, feel free to give them my
3: give John my address. How to reach me? Hope you and Wes have it, and whatever we can do to help anyone, we will.
2: If you run out of postage money, just holler.
3: <laughs> okay, <laughs> okay, wet, but but anyway, man, I'm gonna. It's a picture cut of off and I hate that thing. It says you got 60 seconds left on this call. You have one minute. <laughs> oh, God! she says one minute. That (laughs) was great timing. you're sweating the clock. It would go slower. The time stops. Yeah. Hey, look here. Y'all, you guys take care. Have a wonderful day. God bless y'all. I love you all. All right. We'll see you soon. Just speaking to you, sir.
1: You as well. Thank you. Peace of Christ,
2: brother. Bye-bye.
1: You know, there was so much in that conversation that we could, camp out on and, and one thing i'd like to go back to for just a couple of minutes is just the fear of death and that's the reason i asked that
0: question i know it was a great question
1: I, I felt a little awkward because it's like okay we're talking somebody on death row do you say that uh, you know all that but i really wanted to ask that question and it just felt like he answered it with such honesty and authenticity yeah yeah they kill the bodies but they can't destroy the real terry
0: Yeah. The the day that I first met him. And uh, uh, there's a friend of ours, David, who he uh, decided to go in terms of, quote unquote, the prison ministry, because he was at such a low point in his life that he needed to think about somebody else rather than just himself. And uh, so when he found out that I was in town and we connected, was it you that did that? Wes? I don't remember. I'm not sure. Yeah, probably was. And and Wes is such a connector. But anyway, David says to me, if I get a copy of the shack, because there's a guy in, on death row that was so impacted by the shack. He said, would you sign it? I said, absolutely not. I said, but if you want me to come, I'd love to do that. And so he said, you'd come? And I said, are you kidding? I would love to come. So Wes and I... We were in there with his friend Ron, who is the one that he got left out in the yard with. And, uh, and you know, Terry's been there a long time. We were in a—how big was that room? Maybe 10 by 12? 10 by 12, 10 by 12 yeah. Like that. yeah, and they were both there. And we Terry was able to show me things that he was writing, and, and uh, Ron, too, and we were able to hug. And it was so sweet. And, and every once in a while, Terry would look over at me, and he'd reach out. And he put his hand on my shoulder, and he'd start to cry. And he would say, I can't believe you're here. And I'm like, I can't believe I'm here either. And and we met the day after his last appeal right. had failed right. at that time. And uh, so all of a sudden, the the issue of death, at that point, he's just waiting for a date, right? And, uh, and I was able to talk to him about, instead of living out of fear, which always drives you into some imagination of some future event or series of events or conversation, fear never allows you to stay present. So you're always outside, not really outside, but in your own mind, you're outside and in a situation where there is no God and there is no love and there is no goodness and there is no kindness, and there is no peace. That's what fear does. It creates an imagination in you of something that actually doesn't exist. And so I shared with him that. And it's like, Terry, here is the real world in which there is a God who loves you. Don't go running off into some imagination that is not even real. And I find that most people don't live presently They live in future tripping imaginations that don't exist. And that's what fear does. It not only drives you out of the present, it drives you into a universe and an imagination where there is no God and you're only left to your own resources to try to find a way to control. And control is always opposed to trust. And trust is only in this present tense because it's right here, right now, that God lives in you it's not in that imagination that doesn't exist and so we talked about that and it and the the impact of that little truth allowed him to breathe and to now be present he wasn't anymore imagining being executed right. and what that would mean he wasn't anymore trying to figure out and gain some sense of control over some imagination that was based in fear he was able to stay present in being loved and in loving and because this is the only place that eternity exists, this is where the real world is, and that was one of our first conversations. And then he finds out that not long after, that he doesn't need to be afraid of it now anyway. And then he he went through that journey that he talked about, in which he doesn't he doesn't worry about the down the road. And and I said, you know, all of us live on death row, we just don't recognize it, but we are afraid of it. And, and Terry's like, you don't need to be afraid of it. I mean, they can give me a date and I'm not worried about it because I'm not afraid to die. And when you're not afraid to die, you are not afraid to live. And most of us don't know how to live right here, right now in this present reality of eternity in which we're loved because we're so absent. From now, we're in some future tripping imagination that doesn't actually exist, trying to find a way of control, which is totally a myth. Mm. Instead of crawling into the bottom of the boat in the middle of the storm, down in the bottom where Jesus is asleep, and, and climbing into his arms and letting him wrap them around you and whisper, I got this. Everything's good. You have enough for today, you have enough for this moment. And as difficult as a storm might be, I got you.
2: I just want to say that being alive is joyful. And whether you're on death row or in your own prison, you matter and the dignity of your humanity matters. You're, You're made to be fully human. When we get to heaven, that's what we will be. We won't be subhuman. And what's wrong with us is not our humanity. What's wrong with us is the broken part. So we bring the broken part of our life and we offer it as a gift to our father in heaven through Jesus Christ who gladly receives the mess that we that we provide to him and he he brings into our life the meaning and the significance and the purposes and the love and the kindness and the relationships that we have always longed for that's what he does for us and he sets us free
0: And when Wes says, our Father in heaven, I know him really well, what Wes thinks about this. He's not talking about some distant point of crossing, some vast abyss of separation. I am not. He is talking about the Father in heaven in us, because we are a living sacrifice. We are the temple of the Holy Spirit. The Father, Son, and Spirit dwell in us. And so you don't have far to go. (laughs) (laughs)
1: Love it. Love it. Love it. Oh, man. How do you land a plane that's flying at such a high
0: altitude? it's like this has been so rich. You just say
2: to be continued. Because and you say thank the, you. And, and you, you, you say, say thank, thank you. you.
0: Thank you, Father, yeah. Son, and Holy Spirit. Thank you for the love with which you constantly love us. Thank you that you know us and everything about us, and you're never disappointed because you know us. You don't have expectations. You know us, and you call us by name. And you call us out of our blindness, and you open our inside eyes so that we can begin to see what is true and right and beautiful and good in the midst of all the crash and burn of our lives and of this world system. And we can say, I was lost. I was the coin that was lost. I was the one sheep. I was one of the sons, but I was always yours. I was always yours. You know? Amen. Yeah. And-
1: Thanks for hanging out with me today on All the Best. If you liked the show, be sure to share it out with your family and friends on your social media and drop me a line at john at I would love to hear from you. I also want to invite you to jump over to my site right now to sign up for my free 31-day motivational email series. It's designed to help you go for all the best in life. If you're needing some real change, fresh motivation, and inspiration, this could be just the thing to get get you going. You can find it at johnchisholm.com
0: and I'll see you next time.